This Week in Tennis. That's right, you're listening to This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Nasons. He's Craig Doyle, and we are here to preview what has been a very boring start to the Australian Open. What's happening, Craig? How are you doing, Phil? It's nice to hear you again. And this is kind of episode 2.5, right? Because we were on the Phil Nason show last week. Special appearance just to, to fill a little time because you were let down by a few people. But we are back in the hot seat on this week in tennis this week. Absolutely. And the, what, the letdown was the COVID. <laughs> people here in America are getting COVID. And I guess this is the only place where that happens because that virus from hell has wreaked havoc with the Australian Open. And, you know, I've been a fan. Of, I've been in, watching tennis matches since probably 1970, uh, 71. And I've seen all the greats play live and in person on TV, met a lot of them, hit a lot, hit with a lot of them. And quite frankly, every generation that goes away, a new one comes up and we still have great tennis. The game has changed and I've made comments about it. I wish Servant Volley was back. I wish they would change some things. I like the old style better. You know, I you know, I liked the contrast in styles, but one thing has never changed and that is my love for the game no matter who's playing. And for some out there to think that one person is bigger than the sport is sheer idiocy to me. I just don't understand that train of thought whatsoever, Craig. Just don't get it. Well, you did point out that, you know, the game changes, but the uh, world around the game changes as well, doesn't it? Like we've never been in an era like we have in the last maybe 10 to 15 years where the interactivity between the people who are playing the game, the people who are running the game, and the supporter or fan base, as you want to call them, has it's just never been like what it is now. You, you never had social media before where you had all of these people in the fan base having a voice, you know, you would go to an event and you would, you know, maybe start chatting to someone um, at the food kiosks or in between uh, sets when you're sitting in the crowd or whatever. And you, you know, we chat about tennis and get their opinion on a few things. But now you get nonstop bombarded with opinions from people, many of whom who, unlike you, they've never been live to see some of these great players playing let alone had the opportunity to hit with them. I mean, a lot of these people, they only see uh, these top players on the television or on the internet. They've not actually experienced being around these people. They, they don't know who these people are. They know the personalities of these people that are presented to them in the media and on their TV set. So it's, you know, it's a completely different world now. And it, it, kind of creates this ability for fans to become infatuated with people that they don't actually really know. They become infatuated more with the idea of who they think somebody is or who they think that person represents, but they aren't really sure who that person is. They don't know who that person is. And that's why we see a lot of these fan accounts popping up on Twitter, on, on Instagram, where People seem 
to have nothing else in their lives but to talk about these people that they don't actually know. I, I find it a bit odd, but you know, I'm like you. I come from a generation before social media was a prevalent means of communication. Absolutely, and that's probably why and what's fueled all this, like you said. It's a different time that we live in. Social media can be a great thing, but it can also be a bad thing. And I understand people are fans. I get it. I, I love the fact that people are passionate about the sport, but they're really not passionate about the sport. Not a lot of these folks. They're passionate about one player. And when you see these things, it, it, it's interesting. You've got bloggers pretending to be tennis journalists, and they don't have any credible writing outside of their own self-published work. Um, you see, in one instance... That I saw yesterday, uh, uh, some level one tennis coach named Reggie. And, and his timeline on Twitter is amazing because it's dedicated, it seems, to Novak Djokovic. He's got his, as his profile picture, Novak Djokovic. He's got his cover photo as a soccer player. I mean, the famous people, people that, you know, maybe he couldn't ever be. But one of the things that I was taught very early on, Arthur Ashe, I had the privilege of working with him a bit when I was in probably 18, 17, 16, in, the, in that age group, and then afterwards a little bit before I finally realized my knee was not going to work, and I just became a resident pro at Five Star Resorts, living there, becoming their tennis director, opening up a tennis academy, not only in America, but also in Greece, and... I've succeeded in the sport. I didn't succeed as a top player, but as a coach, I've done okay. I mean, you met me. I was a resident pro in Corfu. I mean, but when you look at these things, Arthur, one of the things he told me was when he asked me, what do you think your main responsibility is as a coach or as a tennis pro, like you've just taken this job? And, and I said, well, to hit with the people, right? Develop. He says, no, your job is to grow the game and you grow the game by promoting it in a healthy environment where people want to play. And I don't see this on this kid's timeline, you know, and, and for background, uh, he, he, it seems like this is a bragging thing that he's a level one tennis coach. He doesn't even give his last name. But I'm sure people know who he is. There's not too many Wolverhampton Wanderer fans who are also level one tennis coaches named Reggie, if that's his real name. But at the end of the day, this is disappointing to me. Um, a level one tennis coach is basically an assistant coach. He's someone that couldn't do what I've been a blessed in by the opportunities because I did have some talent to hit. You know, when you're a resident pro, Craig, you have to be able to play with everyone who walks through the door, at least be able to hit something or offer something. I don't know what a level one tennis coach could offer in that situation. Uh, and it's I'm not insulting this person at all. I'm just opening up the uh, can of worms that, or I should say, emptying the can of worms that this young fella has opened. Clearly a Novak Djokovic fan, but also clearly ignorant. And these are the types of things, you know, in social media. And I'm interview I've interviewed now twice, as you know, for a huge opportunity in tennis. And I'm probably going to accept that position. But at the end of the day, 
I would not get this position with a timeline like this, Craig. Uh, no, you're not. And that's maybe part of something that generationally we are having to understand is that if you're willing to display your opinions on social media, then that does count against you in your professional life, whether you're working in the tennis industry or in any other industry. Uh, anyone who's, you know, presenting themselves as controversial in their opinions, yeah, I mean, that reflects negatively to any employer looking at you. I've always maintained when I, you know, I run my own Twitter profile at CD Sports Media where I put up a lot of my photography stuff. Um, a lot of it's in the, the women's soccer industry. And my clients would not have me pitch side if I was putting controversial opinions on there. Anything that can be polarizing, I just feel you, you want to avoid that. You, you don't want to be starting arguments. You don't want to be leaving a, a trail of destruction on social media that any potential um, employer, any potential customer or client can pick up on because that will count against you being able to work. I think it's uh, it's something that we're learning as as we you know as time goes on as social media as platforms have matured over the last fifteen years, but I think you got to stay professional. You 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 got to stay clean on social media, and, and you got to present your product. If if you're telling people that you're a a level one tennis coach and your ambition is maybe to become a level two or, or qualify at level three, where once you have qualified at level three in this country. You are, uh, you know, you're able to hit with people. You, you you have that ability, and you have the ability to coach young people into a potential career. You don't want to be someone who a parent goes onto the social media and goes, "I don't want to be involved with this person because they're posting these controversial things." You want to maximize your opportunities. You want to, you know, look attractive to potential customers and employers. If you're a club, do you want to hire someone who could be bringing your brand into disrepute? No, absolutely you don't. And that's why you are under um, you know, interview at the moment for a prestigious position at a, a massive club is because you've got a great brand behind you. You're a respectable person to have in the business. And by bringing you in, there's, you're going to enhance the brand that you're coming into. You're going to bring customers in, you're not going to see them out the door and make them want to go and uh, sign up and pay their money into someone else's business. And, and that's really what it is on social media. you got to be careful how you promote and how you carry yourself. Otherwise, it could be damaging to your career. Well, that's just it. You know, my timeline can get kind of dicey at times also, but people need to understand that I retired in 2014 at the age of 50. I retired from being a resident tennis pro which is a very prestigious position in and of itself for a lot of reasons, because I was ready to do something else, specifically radio, as you remember. So part of that job is being controversial. I didn't, it, I didn't seek out any tennis position since 2015. I just took that summer coaching gig because I like working with kids, even though I'm retired. They found me, correct? I didn't find them. I never heard of them. I never applied. If you look at my resume, all my tennis stuff, which is pretty, pretty good, I think, that's at the bottom of the resume. But anyway, enough about me and, this, and comparing myself to a level one because that's unfair to this individual. But this is what 
I saw and I was like, wow, and that made me look further. This is a tweet the young fella made yesterday. If Djokovic's visa is canceled and he is deported, I won't be watching any of the Australian Open for the first time in many years. Australia doesn't don't oh I'm sorry, Australia don't deserve to hold a Grand Slam tournament. And then he has in hashtags boycott Australian Open. Hashtag Australia has fallen. Now why in the Sam Hill would a coach want to boycott a tournament where you could point to your students and say, watch these matches and see what you think and great create great discussion amongst your students. Growing the game, boycotting a tournament because your boyfriend or your wannabe boyfriend can't get into the event because he lied, and he did lie. There's no two ways about that. He lied. Either A, he never tested positive at all, or B, he tested positive and the next morning he's out there taking pictures with kids. He's either a liar or he's reckless and doesn't give a crap. That's not growing the game, though. I don't stick up for anybody. And this is the first time, Craig, in 11 years where I've really been bothered enough by one of these tweets to really say something, especially by someone in my industry. And this is ridiculous. And then he's got this other thing here. And that's bad enough, Craig. Right there. You don't boy. Are you kidding me? Rumors are. First of all, you don't know jack crap, so you should really be quiet at this point. Rumors are the Australian government are delaying their decision on Djokovic until the last minute so he and his lawyers can't appeal. It's not Djokovic that hasn't followed the rules. It's Tennis Australia and the Australian government that are playing games with lies and deceit. Okay, that's fair, but it's also wrong. None of those things are true. I don't get what, why someone at level one, and presumably you want to go higher than that, because frankly speaking, that young fella couldn't get a job cleaning a toilet in my country. And well, if he's getting a job other than cleaning toilets in his, that probably says a lot more about their tennis association than it does about this kid. Because I can't frankly see anyone with any sense at all hiring this kid to do anything in tennis. And I, and I mean that. I've been hiring folks, Craig, since I was 19 years old. And if I saw this, game over. I would throw your resume or your CV in the bin and you would no longer exist in my world. And I would make damn sure that I called everyone I knew and told them exactly why I didn't give this young fella the position of cleaning out the trash bins. Because that's all he would be qualified for in my world. But that being said, Craig, it's disappointing to me that someone of this level would want to see people boycott the great sport of tennis. A, tennis, a sport I've given over 50 years of my life to. I can't even remember, Craig, a day when I didn't have tennis. And to see this rubbish coming from some, basically an amateur who paid a fee and couldn't increase his level beyond that of a beginner, and that is what level one is, a beginner. A tennis parent is in the official LTA 
uh, description of that or and the qualifications that you at least have to have in order to get that level. Good grief, Craig. Well, it just goes back to what we say, you know, this new generation of social media keyboard warriors, they don't have any respect for experience. Um, you know, he, he, he'll look at your position and think you're just some old guy. You know, what do you know? Um, <laughs> all of these people who, who take to social media, who have an opinion that they're very, very keen to share. And I'm sure there's some great opinions out there um, on both sides of many arguments. But a lot of people are disrespectful with their opinion. I had a quick look at this profile of Reggie that you sent me last night. And this is a guy who I couldn't see any qualifications in any of his profiles on social media that he links to that suggest that he's got any inside knowledge of the tennis industry other than this level one coaching certificate with the LTA. He's not a member of the media, so he's not been backstage stage behind the scenes at any tennis events he's not a journalist so he's he's not connected to the circle of journalists where they you know they break the stories and uh, and they gather the news from the tennis industry he's not a photographer he's not a coach at the tour level and you know there's nothing to say that this guy's even been at a tennis event so the fact that he's uh on his twitter quoting facts and rumors that he's picked up from God knows what source, or maybe he's just made those up to suit his own narrative. It's not a good look for this guy. You know, in terms of personality, you instantly wonder, you know, is this guy stable? You know, if you brought this guy into a role to work with children, is he stable? You know, is he the kind of person that you would want to be around children, coaching children and looking after children? On a court? No, I, I, I just don't think so. The way he's presenting himself, it's not a good look. Um, you know, people like this who have aspirations of working with kids, working in coaching and with other people, they don't really tend to be using their social media accounts to post rumors and try to claim that these are facts and, and, and getting themselves into some sort of state of outrage over something that's let's be honest not really their business they have none of the facts they are not part of the discussion they have an opinion on it you know you and i would have this chat over a beer and we did we went to madison square garden we went to the bar across the road we had a few beers we had a chat that's what people do you know it's completely offline it's not a public discussion where anyone can join in it's two friends having a chat but he seems to be having this conversation with a global audience and identifying to hundreds, if not thousands, of potential employers in the tennis industry that, yeah, that's not the industry for him. In fact, he's probably identifying to employers in many industries that uh, he's not the guy that you want to fill that position. Yeah, you got that right. You know what? Essentially what he is is a groupie. And he's a misguided groupie. And more importantly, he... <sighs> wow. I can't believe that these folks are allowed to do what they do, but then he's, you know, he's hiding behind Anonymous. He's a coward. He's probably a wannabe. And you know what? You said he would think I was an old guy. I'd love to get him on the tennis court. I really would. I would hope he thinks like that because at the end, if he survives that one set, two sets, three sets, four sets, five sets, whatever, if he survives, 
he will walk away either A, humbled, or B, more ignorant than he is. And uh, I wouldn't hire this guy to clean the bins. And I don't think anybody else will. And the other thing that maybe this young fella doesn't get, because he's obviously young, no adult would actually talk like this, at least not a smart one. And we see plenty of dumb adults, believe me. But let me say this. The tennis industry is very small. Tiny, in fact. And once this gets out, and this show is big, people are going to identify who this guy is. I'll bet you by the end of the day, Craig, I'll have his first and last name and everything else. But whatever, I won't do anything with it except laugh. And that's all for Mr. Reggie. You know, he got his little one and a half minutes on a, on a successful podcast. Two successful people in the business discussed his nonsense. And I'm sure he feels enlightened and emboldened and probably more famous than he probably is. But at the end of the day, we have a tennis tournament to look forward to. And I got to tell you, I'm just, looking forward just to Just before we move on yes, to the yes. tennis tournament, let's remind people of the last person who uh, also happened to be a, a Novak Djokovic groupie who decided he was going to have a little bit of a public spat with you. And we found out exactly who that guy was and where he lived. And that only took us about, what, 10 minutes? Yeah, 10 minutes. Yeah, Mr. Master Bato, remember him? I do remember him. He's the one who ran. He's the one who ran to one of my friends on Twitter. He didn't think that I was a real tennis guy, and the guy just laughed at him. I'm not going to say who. I'm not going to embarrass him. But you know what? At the end of the day, these are groupies, and and these are misguided groupies. And and that doesn't negate from the fact that there are many people who are sincere Djokovic fans, but they're also tennis fans, and they also have some sense in their head, and they realize the sham that's been created by all of this but they don't let it interrupt and interfere with the great sport of tennis because no one person is bigger than this sport Borg was huge man Borg was huge he was, he's not bigger he, he's not playing anymore but yet the sport survived and then we had the great Swedes and of course that great American group with Sampras and Agassi and Courier and David Wheaton, Michael Chang, uh Malavea Washington, Todd Martin, the list goes on and on, and yet the game changed and survived. And then we have guys like Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Andy Murray, and yes, even Novak Djokovic. And while we enjoy them, the game is already starting to move past them. We're already looking at the new crew of Stefano Tsitsipas and Alexander Zverev and Daniil Medvedev and Dominic Thiem. We have so much to look forward to. And you want your people, your students, not to enjoy that? (laughs) That's just lunacy. Complete sheer lunacy from an amateur at best and probably a pathetic person at worst. And, And that's a shame. Novak Djokovic has been detained. Finally, they, they finally made a decision. He's been detained. He has another, he's appealed. Of course he would. Anyone who thought he wouldn't is living under a rock. Never watched him play because the kid fights. You know, we can't say anything about that. But it's over. You know, the one thing that you have to understand, and I've been in 84 countries with these tennis rackets. That's how I got there. Tennis. And that's why I'm so grateful to the sport because it gave me an opportunity to A, see the world, B, 
provide for my family in a very comfortable way. And three, Craig, I've met so many people from around the world and I've seen places that I wouldn't have got to see unless someone sent me a postcard. You know, I'm from the inner cities of Saginaw, Michigan. I had a black tennis coach long before that seemed fashionable. And I had great success because of that. And and I just can't imagine being under this Reggie. What can you learn from this guy? Nothing. And, and yet we have this Djokovic mess. And of course we have the Nole fan, they call themselves. Another, it, it's more like a cult than anything else. And as much as they try to disrupt this event, ain't going to happen. Well, no, certainly not. We are underway on Monday. Um, the first set of matches have been announced. The draws been made. Um, whether people are going to watch or not watch, it'll be in such small numbers that it won't even register on the scale. You believe me that um, if Serbia turns off, they ain't going to notice it in Australia. Nope, they sure aren't. And they're not going to care either. You know, and, and for a side note, when they talk about the ratings and tennis will go down on TV, well, let me say this. It can't get much worse than the uh, Daniil Medvedev-Novak Djokovic final. And, you know, you watch, and Novak has won 20 majors. But unless he's playing against Rafael Nadal or Roger Federer or Andy Murray, nobody seems to care. Now, if it was anybody else, those numbers would go through the roof. You know, Djokovic, for all this posturing about wanting to be loved, he just isn't. And it's stuff like the stunts he pulls. And he's been pulling stunts since he stepped on the tour. I still remember that U.S. Open, Craig, when his parents wore his identical kit to the tennis matches. I'm like, what the hell? And that's where it all starts. And as comical as it was... I felt sorry for the kid. You know, I remember when his father contacted me when Novak was eight and wanted his son to come to a tennis academy and get him out of Serbia. I was all for it until I found out daddy had three or four businesses and could actually afford it. I'm not going to pay that kid's freight. Why should I? Why should anybody? And yet he still survived. He succeeded enormously. He's one of the best tennis players that have ever stepped on the court. But I dare say he's probably the most controversial, too, for the things that he does off the court. And, you know, you you have to understand those things, and you grow from those mistakes. And he hasn't seemed to grow from anything. The only thing that he's grown is bolder in his audacity and his disrespect for the sport, his desire to... A, overthrow the ATP, but yet begging them to stick up for him when he did another one of his dumb stunts. I just don't get it. Craig, the kid has shot himself in the foot so many times he's run out of feet to shoot. Yeah, he has. The point you made there is he's getting bolder, but he's getting bolder because the other two guys are not there at the minute. The the two other brand ambassadors... um, Federer, I think we've maybe seen just about the last off now, given his age and his injury status. Rafael Nadal's, you know, very much heading towards the exit door. Uh, we don't know how long he's going to continue to play on, but um, 
you know, he's he's got his injury worries as well. We we, we just got to look at it and say the, the stage is set for Novak Djokovic. And it has been for the last few years to step up and really be a leader. But his idea of how to do that is not really in line with what's come before from Nadal or from Federer. It, he's, he's not that friendly face that leads the brand of the ATP or the ITF or, or whatever. Um, he seems to want to go in a completely different, very polarizing direction on many issues. Ho- I think it's in the hope that he can increase his popularity. It's not working. It's not making him popular with the global tennis audience. I mean, even if each of these guys, Federer, Nadal and Djokovic, held an equal share of the fan base, you would still be looking at 67% of the fan base not being in favor of the things that Djokovic does. And he doesn't have an equal share. He's not even got close to it. I mean, he'd be lucky if you had 5% of the fan base followed him because the rest of them would probably split between Federer and Nadal. So he's making himself unpopular with the fan base. He's now making himself unpopular with the ATP. And for some reason, he's decided he wants to be unpopular with the nation of Australia as well. Yeah, that's funny because, you know, people say, well, look how much money he gave to the Australians during the bushfires. Okay, great. What does one thing have to do with the other? So because he was philanthropic and he has been. And kudos to him for doing so because he doesn't really have to. I mean, he's nice to the kids in Serbia, but he doesn't live there. He doesn't pay taxes in Serbia. He doesn't do anything. He lives in Monte Carlo, amongst other places. But that being said, Craig, we got a great tournament starting on Sunday at around 7 p.m. in the United States. A little later for you. You know, I watched the Andy Murray-Riley Opelka match. I love Andy. What a great fighter. 34 years old, steel hip, still clocking ATP players. I tell you what, if if I'm a 20-something tennis player who's in the top 20 and I just lost to a 34-year-old man who didn't play for three years and has a steel hip, I would start to question what, what I'm doing on the tour. But I guess that's a different age. Um, women's matches. You know some of these matches, Craig? And yes, folks, we're going to give you a few picks, but most of the picks are going to be at BetStamp. You have to go to betstamp.app. They're going to be tracking all our plays. I've been testing the software over there for the last week. I haven't done so great. I've been picking dogs, and Craig has been teasing me behind the scenes because I've been shooting at dogs. I hit three of them one day, and I forgot I couldn't get it up on Betstamp because I had to go to be on the tennis court. And <laughs> that was hilarious, but we got some great ones, Craig. Let's talk about the tennis, man. What do you think? So are we going to start with the Australian Open picks, or are we still picking on Sydney and uh, Adelaide? Or are Let's we start going to go with sh- the AO. Let's start with the AO, Sunday night, first round. Now, some of the lines are not there yet. We're still waiting. Some of the lines have not been set. And those are matches I wouldn't be interested in anyway. But I have a list of matches that I'm looking forward to, Craig. I'm looking forward to Kudermatova against Lou. That should be great. I'm looking forward to Kretschikova, who's in the final today, against Petkovic because she can play. That's going to be a great match. Vecic and Risky. Great match. Martic and Jill Tietman. What a fantastic first round. Not maybe for them, but for a fan standpoint, I wouldn't boycott that at gunpoint. 
Kenan, Keys, Madison Key looking great. Uh, we've got Wang and Goff. We've got Sarebos, Tormo, and Flipkins. We've got Tom Lejanovich and Badoza. Mertens and Zvonareva, who is still trying after all these years. And then we have Diaz and Ribikina, who I know Ribikina is someone you like a lot. We have Sloane Stevens and Emma Raducanu in the first round. And we have Patrick Kitova against Doi. Craig, those are quality matches for the first round. Yeah, there's certainly some big-time matches on the women's side. I think like some of the variability on the women's side of the draw... You know, there's a lot of players when you start looking outside the top 20, um, you know, anything from top 20 to top 80, anyone can beat anyone on any given day with a little bit of form. So I think, yeah, there's a, that's why we've got so many big time matches so early on in the tournament that we've, we've got some of those where you've got seeded players against unseeded players. But you think, yeah, you know, there's a good chance here that the unseeded player could be the victor and, and we could score big uh back in the dog and back in the dog is what we do at this week in tennis this is what craig and i've been doing for 11 years is back in dogs you I mean you can go to anyone you want to for tennis advice and that's fine with us but here's the story we win had you picked the had you followed and tracked and played every one of our tennis picks all on this show on this podcast you played them at a hundred bucks a shot. You'd have walked out of here with about ten thousand bucks free money for forty-five minutes of listening to us. That's a small sacrifice to make that kind of money. I would even listen to me if somebody was giving me ten grand, Craig. But there's some good ones though. This one here, I'll tell you what. For a good example, and this isn't even on my list, Craig. Camille Georgi. She's a minus 108 favorite over Anastasia Potapova. Is that so? And they're close. The, the, the money is close. 51% is on Georgi and 49% is on Potapova. Which way do we go if we make this play? Ooh, I know. Um, I, Georgi plays great outside of America because, you know, she has... Her father has issues, you know, scamming people for money and stuff. But that has nothing to do with the daughter unless she's in on it. But she's just a minus 108 favorite. So either way, we're going to get some value here. But where do we get the most? I think I would like to go on Georgi, actually. Um, Potapova, she's won a couple of matches this year. Um, qualifying for some of these smaller events in um, Adelaide and Melbourne. But um, I haven't been overly impressed with her. The, the one thing about Potapova that I've noticed is that everything feels like a battle. She rarely goes out there and smashes someone in two sets and then, you know, on to the next round. Every time I see her, she, she played Madison Brangell last week, I think, and it was a, a loss in the third set. She won the second set. Brangell won the third one relatively easy. She was playing uh, before that. I think it was uh, Melbourne, and, and it was a very, very similar thing. She she played three matches, and they were all uh, three sets. I think she got to the quarterfinal there. But um, w one of the things that I noted about her is that there are times when she gets to that third set, she just runs out of gas. You know, she she loses third set 6-1, 6-love quite often. For me, 
I think I want the experience of Georgie, and, uh, and I, I think that she'll come through that first round match. I agree. Now, the total in this match is interesting, too, because of all the things that you just said. You know, we know that Potapova, she fights like a little tiger in the first two sets, right? Uh, what are the odds that this goes three sets, Craig? Because it's over 21 is minus 113. Under 21 and a half is a dog at even money. Which way do we swing with this? Because we talked about this for the last four or five weeks that we were going to start considering these totals a little more. What do you think? I think this is actually going to be quick. And the reason I think that is because I don't think Georgie has played since about October or something. In fact, I don't think she's probably played since about Indian Wells, um, where... Yeah, it wasn't a great appearance, and then she got injured. So I think she's going to come into this one quite fresh. Um, Potapova's been playing the last two, three weeks, and I think some of the recent results suggest to me she's starting to get a little bit run down already. Um, I'm not sure if she's liking the heat out there. I just feel that Georgie's going to come in here fresh. She's going to be fit again, and it's just going to be straight sets to the Italian. Yeah. So the under 21 and a half, that looks good to me too. At, at, at even money. You can't beat that. Now, there's a couple others I was looking at here. You mentioned Madison Brengal. And she is plus 127. She's taking on Diana Yastremska, a minus 146. The over, the total is 21 and a half. Over is minus 110, under is minus 109. That means the odds makers don't have any idea about this match. What do you think about this, Craig? So give me those prices again. I, I, you said they were close. Yes, they are. Um, there, It's a plus 20. Uh, Brangell is a uh, 127 dog, and Yastrzemska is a minus 146 favorite. How do you feel about Madison Brangell not playing in America because this is always a problem with these American athletes, right? Sometimes we we get them and, and they look like a good price, but they're playing outside of America and they just seem to crumble outside of America. I mean, at, at least we're on outdoor hardcores here, which is kind of more familiar to them. And I, I think like Brangell has won a couple of matches already this year um, and look good doing so too. By the way. But the, the thing that the thing that did bother me was that she pulled out of that match with um, Alison Risky the other day, and I, I, I'm a little skeptical as to whether how injured she actually was in that one, or if she was just deciding that she's uh, going to save herself for the Open. Um, yeah, I like Madison Brown girl, and I like the price that you're you're getting on her. I think at the price that would be my choice over. Uh, let's see if I can pronounce this. Yastremska. Yeah, Yastremska. Yeah, she's a nice kid, by the way. But I'm interested, and I agree with you. I think Brangel takes care of business. This court, the ball bounces nice, and it's fair for her, and it's not too fast if you've been watching. So, and from what I've heard from people who've been practicing at the facility, it's not that fast. And that's a good thing for her. And Yastremska, I worry about her sometimes. I don't think I want to play with this total, but I sure think that Madison Brangell, also, this, there, it, when you look at the spread, it's plus two and a half. She's got, she's got a two and a half game spot 
at minus 120. I don't think I play that. But I'm with you on the side bet. Any interest in the total? Because I don't. I don't have any idea how many sets this is going to take. No. And uh, like, you know, I always say if you have to play it, and if in doubt on a women's match, you go the over because so many of these matches go the over. I mean, you and I were just discussing last week what would happen if we just bet $100 on the over on every women's match. Would we, you know, would we break even? Would we come out ahead? Because um, it always seems to me that there's so many matches with the with the over um, being the favorable position. But, uh, you know, this one, if, if you're going to push me to, to it, I would go over. Yeah, but and, and that's just we're and that's not a pick, it's not a speculation. It's a speculation because we really don't know. But yeah, I think it could go over. Also, I could see this get match going three sets, but we're gonna go with uh, Madison Brangal because she's played really well so far and she looks hungry too. You know, and pulling out of that match, it is what it is. Now, because uh, you know, people get once they're ready and they feel ready, they they might not want to. Uh, expend any more energy and just go right to the site and get ready for the big one. But this one here interests me from a betting standpoint. It's Kaya Yuvan, and she's taking on Mariana Zanaveska. Zanaveska is a plus 140 dog, and Yuvan is a minus 139 favorite. The money is overwhelmingly at 58% on Yuvan. What do you think here? Because I'm liking this favorite. Yeah, I think I'm with you on this one. I would find it difficult to go with the other girl. Um, I, I actually picked this one out as one of the ones that I thought was a really reasonable price for what they were offering. Um, I have not seen enough of Zanaveska to give me a positive feeling on backing her, whereas I've seen a little bit more uh, Yuvan. She's, she's just inside the top 100. But uh, she's 21 years old, um, comes from uh, Slovenia. Um, and I, I like her. I, I like what I've seen. I've, I've seen enough recently that I think, yeah, that's probably a pretty good price. And if, if we were going to be honest, right, if you were looking at the rankings, you'd be flipping a coin because Zanaveska, I think, has got a very, very similar singles ranking but she's a bit more experienced but i think when i when i came into this one and and you gave me the uh the the names it was kind of like which players got the most upside which ones got the most again and i think uh yuvan certainly for me is gonna have more upside in the long term and, and she's the one that i've been keeping my eyes on so hopefully she does the business here and again like I'm not going to be back in the under or the over on number of games played, but I would suspect it will probably go three sets. Yeah, I would think so too. And the over is actually the dog at minus 107. The under 21.5 is the favorite at minus 110. Now here's a match right here. This one here, Craig. Ekaterina Alexandrova. She's at minus 200, which is pretty much where we cut it off, especially in the first rounds. And she's taking on Bernarda Pera. At a plus 197. I've always liked Alexandrova. But I don't like her so much. In Australia. I think it takes her time to get going. But she started out okay. And Para, I'm not so sure. If this is the surface for her. So what do you like here? Because I'm favor- I'm taking the favorite I think. Uh, 
Yeah, Alexandrova. She's she's had a, a good. Um, she she was playing Sydney. So um, the, the thing about Alexandrova is she plays doubles as well. A lot of these Russian girls do play doubles. Um, she I, I think she lost quite early on in Sydney because she was up against. Uh, I think it might have been Muguruza. She lost to, and let's be honest, Muguruza is one of those top ten players that um, you never get a good price on. You can't back because she's so solid. She's one of the few certainties on the uh, WTA tour. Uh, but I like Alexander over here. I'm just not so keen on the price that I'm getting offered. I think like if the price had been a little bit better, it would be a certainty for me, you know. But mm, I, I can't see the other girl winning. I, I don't see Perra winning it. Um, I, I think it's much more likely to be an Alexandrova win, whether you think that price is good enough for you to come in on. Um, well, that's down to you. What do you think? I, I have to pay. I'm going to pay that price. And, and here's why, because I think that's easy money right there. And, and something like that, a minus 200, minus 250, minus 300. I don't have a problem with it. If you want to parlay, and a lot of people do, I'm not a big parlay guy. I hit a three-legger yesterday, but that's basketball. But at the end of the day, that minus 200 can turn into a, a, a nice win on a parlay ticket. And I'm going to go with that. I'm just, that price is okay with me. Now, what I'm trying to do now is determine. We have a, one more match I want to talk about, Craig. We'll give a pick for. We'll have other picks for you, by the way. And they'll be ready to go on Sunday. But in the interest of time, we're not going to go through all these matches. I'm trying to find the uh, number on the uh, Emiratic Kanu. Because that's a big one against Sloane Stevens. Well, I do that, and I'm going to do that, I think, if it's up. Uh, what do you think about that match? You've got two. Here we go. Emma Raducanu is the favorite at minus 110, and Sloane Stevens is the dog at plus 100. Wow. Well, I, I watched Sloane Stevens the other month, and she struggled to get past Heather Watson. Right. I think that might have been Indian Wells. And you know, like, I'm a big fan of Heather Watson. Uh, this match, I would be looking to see if you can bet on both players to lose. <laughs> right? I mean... <laughs> I know. Rad- Radicanu can't beat anyone at the minute. They've gone some sort of bizarre route with her career where... She wins the U.S. Open, and then she doesn't want to play Indian Wells, and she doesn't want to play in Transylvania or wherever she ended up playing. You know, she was happy to ride on the coattails of that success and get her endorsements and her sponsorships and her awards and her TV appearances and all these sorts of things. Um, she didn't want to play, and she's then she's got COVID, and now she's come back, and I'm sure she played the other day, and she, she lost love and won, which was not a good start to her first appearance um, down under. Sloane Stevens, I don't recall having played the last few days. I had, didn't see her on either of the draws last week, and I don't think she played the week before, so... Is Sloane Stevens fit? I mean, if you look at her Twitter, she seems more interested in, you know, external activities and not tennis. Oh, this this is awful. You know, you're asking me to pick between a player who's got, like, literally no form because she wasn't interested for a while and a player who's not been interested for about five years. <laughs> 
You know, in Sloan's defense and congratulations, she got married. You know, COVID had messed up her plans, and then she finally got married. She put a lot of pictures up on Twitter. She looked beautiful. Congratulations, Sloan. I hope that you are. I hope in 50 years you're still smiling at your husband the way you did when you got married. And, and I truly mean that. I don't have anything against that girl. And Emma Raducanu, she looked like a beginner. She looked like that kid Reggie if he were playing with me. It's the same thing. You know, but then she's from the same place. So it, it just probably goes to, goes without saying that she's probably doesn't have much foundation in her game. It's bizarre. You know, she, she also knows. You can see it in her face. She knows. We've watched her play. She did okay in Transylvania. She didn't do so hot in Indian Wells. And then she fired coaches, hired coaches, firing coaches, hiring coaches. She's probably had more coaches than I currently, in her lifetime, then I currently have tennis rackets, and I have a bunch of them, a lot of them, since before Reggie was born. Um, you know something, though? And, and, and Yeah, well, it is what it is, Craig. And, and we're going to have that fun all the rest of the day. This is about to be a first on the show because I'm about to back Sloane Stevens, and you're about to agree with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want anything to do with the total because, like Craig says, this is going to be a war of who – to see if both of them can lose. But you know what? In this situation, when it's this close, you can't hurt yourself too much by backing the underdog. Take Sloan Stevens, and she's going to kick the living daylights out of Emma. And I and I bless her, by the way. I hope she grabs that bag and makes as much money as she can. Because if this continues, if this lousy footwork, and the fact that she can't hit a ball moving left or right, if that continues and we're going to see more of it, she ain't going to be around long. So go get that bag, girl. Make that money. Make it. I'm, I want the kid. Have you ever heard me say a kid shouldn't go get that money, Craig? No, you've always been up front and saying that if a sponsorship deal comes along, then you want to take that. You don't want to turn down the mega money deals when they come along because they ain't coming along twice. They sure ain't. Now, let's go over to the men's in the first round. Now, I gave you the list of the matches that I, I'm looking forward to. There's so many, but, you know, to name a few, I, I'm looking forward mostly to the O'Reilly Opelka-Kevin Anderson match because Opelka, Opelka seems to be spending a lot of time moaning on Twitter about the fact that he doesn't make much money and he should be getting paid more. And then he goes out and loses to a guy that's 34 years old who hadn't played much in the last three years with a steel hip. So you tell me. Now, there's some interesting plays here, though, I think. Here's the first one, Craig. Christian Guerin, minus 173. He's taken on Facunda Bagnus. And Bagnus is a plus 153. If this were clay court tennis, I would be back in Bagnus. And, 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 and borrowing money to pay for this if I had to. Who do you like? Actually, Bagnus had a, quite a good win. Uh, I think it was, um, was it at the ATP Cup or did he lose that match? I can't remember. But uh, Christian Garin, um, he he's had pretty much the start to the season that we expected. He played um, some top players in the ATP Cup. Um, he played Kaspar Ruud. He lost to him. He beat one of the Serbian guys, but he also lost to um, quite heavily to Roberto Bautista Agut. And when I saw him losing heavily to Bautista Agut, that's kind of put me off backing um, 
Garmin at this stage. Um, That's a tough the, one, the, Craig. The, you know, the surface probably, I mean, this guy's from Chile. Um, the, the surface probably doesn't suit him too much. It, it's not the, um, you know, when we look at Facundo Bagnus and say, yeah, clay is his thing. I think Garin's probably a clay guy as well from what I've seen. Um, Bagnus, he lost this week to um, uh, Gofan, who Gofan's a guy who's been on the slide, but he did beat Andy Murray the week before in a, in a bit of a battle. So, oh, man, this is going to be tough. I think we're going to have to stick with the favorite just, but I think this one's got the potential to be more than three sets. Yeah, you know what I do as well. And that's the play right here because one seven minus one seventy three is hard. That's not profitable. Now the total here on the over is thirty six and a half games over at minus one twenty. That's far better than uh, minus one seventy three. I don't. I can't play Bogness against Garin. I can't play either of them. But what we can do is play the over. I think this goes four sets, maybe five. This could be one of those. That starts in the morning and ends in early in the afternoon, Craig. And I'm going to take it that same play with you and go the over 36 and a half. I like it. I like this Good next play. one. I, I got another one for you. Sebi Corda, a plus 163 dog. And he's taking on Cam Nori, a minus 184 favorite. What do you think about this one, Craig? Well, I'm riding. I don't even have to look at this. I'm riding and I'm playing Corda. Uh, I have to play Corda. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Cam Nori hasn't won a match this year yet. He played at the ATP Cup. He played three matches and he lost three times. He lost to Taylor Fritz, who's been on a bit of a run. He lost to Felix Auger Aliasimi, who is just a better player than, than Cam Nori. And he lost to Alexander Zverev, who is a top player on the tour. So, yeah, you could say that Norrie's played, you know, two out of three of those guys were definitely above his level. He lost in straight sets to both of them. He had a bit of a battle on with Fritz, but he got smoked in the third set. Um, so what what I'm looking at in here is Carter's got a lot of upside, right? When this guy's dialed in, um, I really do like him. I, I really do like Carter when he's dialed in. He looks like he's got the uh, the bits and pieces there to make things happen. The only thing that frightens me is that I have not seen him play since he lost to Alcaraz in the the next gen ATP finals. Right. He's he's not turned out in Australia yet. So you know, had he played one of the satellite events as we call them. I would have, you know, got a feeling for what his form's looking like. But because uh, he's not played, it does spook me a little bit that there might be some sort of uh, injury worries there. But uh, he's the only player you can have here. Cam Norrie's not a good price. He's not won any of his last three matches in Australia. He's coming in here on bad form. You, you've got to play Corda. It's the only play that you can make. Well, and, and the other thing, too, is Corda's old man won the uh, Australian Open. i know Peter for maybe 35 years before Reggie was born. And, uh, you know, Peter was a lefty. And Cam Norrie's a lefty. You think that Peter didn't talk to his son and say, this is how you play a lefty? 
he's probably hit with his old man. I, Peter looks good still. And uh, I think he can still hit it a little bit. I like Corda, man. You know what? This is next-gen rising right here. And that's a great family of great people, quality people. And I'm going to back this because you can't back Cam Nori right now. You just can't. And the total could go either way. It's 38.5 is the over. And under is 39. This is going probably. It's not going to be a straight setter either way. But did they get to 38.5? That's going to be deep into the fourth set. Let's just stick with the dog here, Sebastian Corda, and I don't. And if he wins, it's not an upset in my mind because he's played great. Now we got. Let's give a couple more, Craig, and then we'll say goodnight to the people and let them know how they can uh, subscribe and all these things, and pick up some cash with Craig in the Flash, Fabio Fognini, minus one thirteen favorite against Talon Greekspor, who's a plus one hundred one dog. These odds makers know Fabio Fognini, don't they? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Fognini's not new on the scene, you know what I mean? He's He's been uh, around the block a few times. Um, he, he lost last week to your guy, didn't he, um, Nakashima? Yes, he did. Yes, um, he did. He, but it was, it was on the tie break twice. It's not like Nakashima came in and smoked him or anything like that. Right. Um, I think that might be the... Only appear. I mean, I think he was maybe playing doubles as well last week. Actually, Fognini. Um, yeah, he probably had quite a good run at it. Um, oh, he's in the final. Yes. Yeah, he's not played. He's in the final. I, I knew that he was playing. I hadn't realized they'd gotten to the final. Uh, don't follow the doubles quite as closely, but uh, no, that's pretty impressive. Uh, no, yeah. Fognini should be okay here. You know, yeah. it's it's a big time. He knows how to make some money. He's not going to win a slam at his age. He's thirty. 435 now but uh you know he, he'll do okay here he'll get through a couple of rounds um he's not going to lose first round to um did we say it was greek sport that he's playing yeah he's playing greek I'll tell sport. Greek sport. yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's 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 a big ask for uh greek sport to uh take him out here i i would think that uh um that is just got fucking in the written. You know, I was actually looking forward to Greek sport playing last, uh, not last week, two weeks ago against Nadal. Uh, oh, yeah, I, remember I remember you told me that. Yeah. Because yeah. I said to you, like, this is going to be, you know, Nadal's second game. Let's let's have a look and see how he's playing. But uh, Greek sport ended up um, pulling out before the game and uh, Nadal won that tournament. So there's, there's also potential that there might be a bit of an injury worry um, with Greek sport. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think Fognini should be quite comfortably into the second round. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's uh, one more. Let's not play this, but John Millman and Feliciano Lopez are playing against each other. Millman is a two ten favorite, minus two ten, and Feliciano is a plus one eighty four underdog. Gosh, if this were grass, I would take Lopez in a heartbeat. But I think you have to go with Millman here. Uh, well, Millman's been smoked twice in a row in the two tournaments that he's played. I mean, he's just not looked um, on the level, which is kind of weird because you get one of these Australian guys um, in Australia, you you tend to you tend to favor them, right? You you look at them and you think, yeah, they they tend to play a little bit better in the home events, but Millman. Uh, he, he lost two and two uh, in Adelaide, and then the week before in Adelaide, he lost four and three to Kokonakis, um, who, let's be honest, Kokonakis hasn't played in a while. Um, 
this is going to be a bit of a battle, I think. I think um, Feliciano Lopez is at the, the, the point where his career is pretty much done, right? He's 40 years old. He can only play one way now, and that's to shorten points and, and come forward. And this is all going to hinge on whether Millman can deal with Lopez, banging down the serve and coming to the net. You know, we, we all forget that uh, Lopez is, is ages with Federer. You know, he's vintage. He is 40-plus. Um, you know, he's not going to be running around out in the heat for uh, four hours, five hours. It's got to be short and sweet. So I, I think, you know, this one's not, not going to go the full five sets. I, I would think it'll probably just go four sets at most. And let's play Millman because at some point, you know, Lopez has got to run out of legs. You would think so. Um, I love watching Feliciano play. Do you remember when he came out? And this is probably when Reggie was still trying to figure out, you know, who he was. Or maybe he's still trying. But I remember when they brought Lopez and Rafael Nadal out together to play doubles and they both wear the knickers. That was awesome. Uh, Knickers and those uh, muscle t-shirts. That was great. I loved it. I, you know, even though it was against maybe the the way I would dress on a tennis court, I still love it. I love Feliciano Lopez. I'm so proud of him. He's still playing at age 40, man. But Millman is going to get him. This is a home tournament for him. He should. All right, one more and then we'll go. Okay, one more and then we'll go. Uh, Kevin Anderson, plus 181 dog. Riley Opelka. <laughs> who probably should get on the plane with Novak after that performance he laid against uh, Andy Murray, minus 206. You think the favorite, you think Riley can recover from that? You would like to think so. I mean, <laughs> I Riley, Riley Opelka, he, um, he plays one way, right? He's got no diversity to his game. There's going to be no variety. He ain't going to be running the baseline. Um, you, you, you know, you pretty much got two guys who are going to do the same thing, and it's just going to be a case of who does it better on the day. Um, the thing that Riley Opelka's got going for him is if this goes four or five sets, he's only 24 years old. Kevin Anderson is uh, mid-30s. He, he's ages with me. I think he's like 35 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Opelka's going to be able to go longer. Um as I said, they're not going to be extending themselves too much. You're not going to see a lot of tennis. You're going to see a lot of serves coming down and then one shot afterwards if the ball comes back. I think Opelka, you know, he, he lost to Andy Murray, but w- despite the fact Andy Murray's, you know, he's, he's got the metal hip and all this, uh, he, you look, Murray's probably still one of the best at returning the ball, and he's one of the best players still if you give him a target. Um, you know, if you come forward to the net, he'll lob you or he'll just drive it right past you. Apelka's not really had a huge amount of experience dealing with that. You're not going to get that from Kevin Anderson. It's it's going to be very serve dominated, and I think that'll favor Apelka. Um, I I think he'll be okay here. He's won a few matches in in Sydney before he lost to Andy Murray. Um, I think you know. He, He'll he'll be able to fine. He'll, he'll do fine here. He'll do fine if he gets into tie breaks. I can see Opelka getting through a few rounds here, actually. Oh, yeah. I can, too. And we're going to go with Opelka. That's going to be all for the free picks, though. We've given you several. And you'll be able to cash with Craig in the Flash. And more importantly, you're going to have opportunities to purchase our picks. We're selling them real cheap. 
You know, we were giving them away for years and years, but it's time we put a lot of work into it, and it's time we get a little cash for our trouble, and you should probably thank us for that. Because if we weren't going to sell them, we weren't going to do the show anymore, and you wouldn't have the best A and longest-running tennis podcast and B, the best handicapping duo in tennis. And that's a fact. That's a fact. You go back to our archives at Anchor. Go back there and listen to the shows and get your little notebooks out and go see what we've accomplished as a, as a handicapping team. Craig, great stuff today, man. You are still the number one handicapper, but I'm going to catch you for all that crap you gave me for the last 10 days. Well, you might if you stop... Uh batting some bizarre dogs you know maybe you'll be back in front by the time the australian open finishes i hope so i hope so thankfully i have you in my corner (laughs) and that's gonna wrap it up for this edition of this week in tennis you can find craig over at cd sports media you can find me over at cash with flash on twitter enjoy the picks and head on over to bet stamp if you like what we're doing and you want even more picks because there's a lot of matches and we're ready and willing and able to provide you the best sports betting experience that we can possibly get. For Craig Doyle, I'm Phil Nasons. Thanks for listening to This Week in Tennis. This Week in Tennis.